Welcome to another episode of Baroque Banter. My name is Kieran Brant Sordi, and today I'm talking with Erin Hilliard, Artistic Director of Pinchgut Opera and the conductor for our upcoming performance of Handel's Theodora in Concert. Now, this special production is a unique collaboration between Pinchgut Opera and Opera Australia, and it marks the first time that Pinchgut Opera has performed at the Joan Sutherland Theatre in the iconic Sydney Opera House. So welcome, Erin. Hi, Kieran. It's great to see you. So this isn't the first time that uh, Pinchgut has performed Theodora. Can you tell us about the first time to take us back all the way to 2016? That's right, in the before times, before before the pandemic. um, We had a wonderful time uh, producing Theodora as a staged opera, even though, of course, it's an oratorio. Uh, but one of the most famous oratorios of Handel to be staged. In fact, most of our listeners probably would remember the Peter Sellers production at Glyndebourne, yeah. which was iconic. Wonderful well. production. Exactly. Um, so we had the great pleasure of uh, having Lindy Hume direct that performance. With an international cast, we had um, uh, Valda Wilson in the role of Theodora. Um, we had Chris Lowry in the role of Didymus. Um, various other people came from overseas and also from uh, Australia. And it was a great success. It was a personal triumph for me I remember how much I enjoyed working on this great masterpiece and so it was with great pleasure that um, I accepted when Lindy Hume in her role as interim artistic director for Opera Australia before Joe Davis took over as new artistic director uh, put it together a summer shoulder season for Opera Australia and she said hey let's do a concert version of Theodora uh, because it's a piece that's very much close to Lindy's heart and so I'm excited to be performing in the Joan Sutherland Theatre. I've worked there Kieran, as a 21-year-old, I was there as a surtitle operator uh, for Opera Australia. Um, but that's the last time I was in the theatre, actually, when I wasn't in the audience. So it's going to be thrilling to bring Baroque music back to this glorious space. As a former surtitler myself, all the best people start as surtitles. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone starts in surtitles. And, of course, Kieran, you were assistant conductor on that production of Theodora. I was, yeah. I remember it uh, fondly. One of my um, very formative experiences for me. Wonderful, wonderful production. And can't wait to, to hear it again. So tell us a little bit about how this um, this collaboration with Opera Australia came about and what can we expect from Pinchgut at the Opera House? Yeah, great. So Lindy, uh, as I said, she uh, just absolutely adored the work. She's been a long-time friend of Pinchgut and myself. Uh, she's somewhat of a mentor for me, actually. And um, when she was asked by Opera Australia to put together a short season uh, for the summer, she thought this would be an ideal opportunity for Pinchgut and Opera Australia to collaborate for the very first time. Of course, we're actually speaking right now uh, in rooms at Opera Australia. So Opera Australia has been very kind in helping us uh, have a place to live for the last 20 years. And uh, we intersect in so many ways. Um, but this is our first formal arrangement in which we're having uh, – a production that is actually sold by Opera Australia. So it's so so thrilling, uh, mainly to be able to get back to the Sydney Opera House. And we have uh, Chris Lowry is returning as uh, Didymus, uh, but we're working with Samantha Clark for the first time. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So of the original 2016 cast, it's only Chris Lowry who's coming to reprise the role, partly for economic reasons. Um, we would love to have a, a reunion of the 2016 cast, but in this case, uh, we want to take advantage of all the wonderful talent that's that's home here in Australia. And Chris uh, is coming out to reprise the role, but in the role of Theodora, we're so thrilled and honoured to be working with Samantha Clark. <laughs> 
who will be joining us, of course, later again this year with Pinchgut Opera for uh, the role of Cleopatra in Julius Caesar. And I'm also working with Sam Clark in the Melbourne uh, for Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. So Sam and I are going to do lots together this year, and I'm thrilled to be working on this show with her. We also have uh, Michael Petricelli coming back uh, to perform uh, Septimius with us. We have um, Helen Sherman, wonderful Australian mezzo in the role of Irene. Uh, and we also have David Greco will be uh, singing the role of Valence. Um, so it's a phenomenal cast of early music experts. I can't wait to bring this um, to this amazing space. Now, Theodora was one of Handel's uh, favourite works. Can you tell us a little bit about the work and why it had such a place in, in Handel's heart? Yeah, it's an extraordinary work. It's really considered nowadays to be Handel's great masterpiece. It's a late work. He wrote it when he was 64 um, in 1750. Um, at that stage, his opera career was long finished. He'd moved, um, as most of our listeners would know, Handel had a wonderful early career in opera, and then for economic reasons mainly, but also cultural ones, he gave up opera to um, explore the much cheaper and also more popular genre of oratorio, which was in English, unlike Italian opera. And also oratorio was often on themes that really spoke to the English public's heart. They were taken from the Bible, themes of... um, uh, from the Old and the New Testament, um, biblical. It sort of spoke to um, nascent feelings of patriotism um, and also duty. Um, Theodore is unusual because the libretto is written by Thomas Morell, who is actually quite an interesting guy. He um, he was a chemist as well. We actually have some sort of arcane laws that we still use that we attribute to him. But he was a very close friend of Handel and he wrote this libretto and it's it's quite interesting because it takes a lot of uh inspiration from the contemporary english novel so in the late 1740s of course we had henry fielding and samuel richardson write their extraordinary novels on the theme of female virtue in distress so we've got one of the longest novels in the english language is clarissa by Richardson, and also um, we have Tom Fielding's, uh, sorry, um, uh, Fielding's uh, Pamela, which is another novel about uh, a a young heroine who's put through a sort of horrific series of trials. Now, Theodora has exactly the same theme. It's a female virtue in distress. So Morel was really bringing um, these current cultural themes of, of of the novel, but also there's a very strong influence of Locke in the libretto of Theodora and his famous treatise on toleration or tolerating um, uh, other cultures, other religions. It was famously banned at Oxford University. Um, But the themes in Theodora are quite modern in that we should respect all religions, there should be a separation between church and state. Now, I think it's precisely those complex cultural um, themes that actually made Theodora quite unpopular at the time. So I was going to ask you about this because even though Handel, it's he considers it his masterpiece, it didn't sell all that well, did it? That's exactly right. Yeah. So it only had three performances, and there's a couple of reasons. I think this one that I've just mentioned that the themes were, even though they're very modern to us nowadays, and I think responsible for the overwhelming critical reception that Theodora's had. Um, in the 20th century. Actually, at the time, they didn't work in, a, in the public's favour. But bizarrely, the thing that also emptied the theatres for Theodora was that there was a major earthquake in London. So a lot of Handel's audience fled the city because um, they didn't want buildings crumpling <laughs> on top of them <laughs> or theatres. And so the theatre was very empty. Um, but yes, Morel and other 
commentators at the time spoke with Handel, and he he thought it probably one of the best works he wrote. And some very reliable commentators too, who um, were close to the Handel circle, write in their diaries how they they're so saddened because they considered Theodora Handel's greatest composition, but no one came to the theatre. So it just goes to show how risky cultural endeavours were back then and now. <laughs> well, he said himself that uh, the choruses in Theodora he puts above the choruses in Messiah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and I, I do believe that, that that that's right. He he must have responded to this libretto, this story, um, with an uncommon sense of sophistication and deepening. And there's a variety of things in Theodora that make it really musically special. Well, speaking on what makes it musically special, what are what are some of the characteristics in Theodora that, that make it such a unique work? I think for me, when you read the drama, it really emphasises this concept of free will and also the pacing of the drama is kind of extraordinary. There's a wonderful scholar called Ruth Smith and she's written quite at length about Theodora and she says that there are 23 moments in the oratorio where a, a sort of decision is made by a character that changes the, the fate of or the, the course of the narrative. And so it gives it this sense of a split-second moment-by-moment um, moment drama, which actually does have a lot of resonance with these epistolary novels of Clarissa and um, Tom Jones and also um, Pamela, which I mentioned before, and they're written as a series of letters. So the reader feels like you're going in real time through a drama, and you get that with Theodora too. Now, Handel responds to the th- these different characters in a really quiet, sophisticated ways, and, and I think the... The biggest one I'd give the audience, um, people listening when they come to the Opera House to hear us perform it, is that you'll hear um, what we call the ritonello, which is an orchestral introduction, before the character even starts singing. And Handel very cleverly almost pre preempts the drama that the character will sing about in that opening ritonello. And what's also interesting about... So, for example, if a character's sort of questioning a course... Um, or uh, a moral obligation or a duty, or should he save her, or should he follow her duty, his duty, etc. In the opening wordless introduction, you get the sense of a debate between sort of themes um, or members of the orchestra or the textures already give a sort of questioning sense to the drama. But also there's a sense of ambiguity too, which I think gives the the piece added depth. So, for example, there's um, a famous aria, by Theodora, and she's in prison, and she says, oh, if only I was on wings, I could rise and flee this place. And Handel, and there's also the imagery of the dove in that aria, and you hear Handel in the opening introduction, the fiddles have this sort of fluttering motif, and it's not sh- it's not clear whether it's her soul fluttering to be free, which she speaks about, or the beating of the dove's wings, but both are sort of accurate. Similarly, there's another aria by Irene where she's worried about the imminent rape of Theodora by um, Valens's guards. And she asks that angels put tents over Theodora. And there's a sense of this amazing sort of theme that's um, ricocheted between the strings. And it's not clear whether that's Irene's anxiety or actually it's this calming sense of veils being put over. So I, I love that sense of ambiguity. I think it's exactly what contemporary audiences didn't like, but it's exactly what modern audiences love, that sense of deepening and um, and sophistication. And for all those reasons, I think Theodora is justly Handel's great masterpiece. And there's a wonderful ambiguity with the chorus as well. We have Cantillation uh, as the chorus for this production. 
and they play variously um, the Christians and then also the Romans. They have wonderful drunken choruses in the feasts and then they have these wonderful devotional passages fantastic fugal passages as well. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. The the chorus have to do double duty exactly in the way that I've just described. That's a very good point. And um, it's a little bit like the passions that we know famously of Bach, in which the chorus is asked to be bloodthirsty um, Jews out for the blood of Jesus um, and then immediately be heartfelt Christians. And the same, the chorus is asked to be uh, heathens in terms of the Romans and then also the Christians. Um, but it's interesting because Theodora, whereas the passion follows a fairly um, uh, follows the gospel, the narrative of the gospel, which is quite clear in in um, in the in the New Testament, in Theodora we get this interesting sense that even too there's ambiguity on the Roman side. One of my favourite choruses in Theodora is at the end, where the Romans start to see what is so extraordinary about this new Christian sect. And it's got a wonderful foretaste of the future as it would have been at the time that the libretto was meant to be set. Um, so yeah, it's an extraordinary piece for all the, me- the reasons you mentioned and more. Now, mentioning the orchestra, there's a very special instrument that we have uh, in this uh, production. Could you tell us a little bit about the Baroque contrabassoon, or as we call it, the bassoonosaurus. Yes, the bassoonosaurus. This is a wonderful instrument that was um, uh, we fundraised for this wonderful instrument um, quite a few years back, um, and some of our wonderful Pinchcut audience own small parts of it. Even myself, I put in some money also. So some of the keys on this extraordinary instrument, I feel like, oh, yeah, they're mine. Sponsored by Eric. <laughs> exactly, <Howard. laughs> yes, and, and all of our other donors as well. It's an extraordinary instrument that we know was used by Handel in his orchestra. It's a, basically a bassoon that plays at 16-foot pitch, which is an octave lower than the bassoon. It's played by um, the principal contrabassoon of Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, Brock Emerson, a wonderful, wonderful musician and also um, a great specialist on early bassoons. Um, it's really interesting how Handel paints, uses uh, orchestration in, in Theodora. For the Romans, he evokes the sort of the cornus, which is this really interesting circular horn that you often see in um, uh, sort of sarcophagus prints of Roman rites. And so accordingly, when the Romans sing, he has the horns, the natural horns um, play, and also trumpets as well. Um, But when it's just the Christians, it's often just the oboes and bassoons, much warmer instruments. Um, And most famously, there's a solo flute to sort of evoke... um, Theodora's spirit in pain uh, when she's imprisoned in the cell. But it's really Theodora's great genius is in Handel's thematic development, the way he uses themes and some of the ways I've mentioned already. But um, if you come to the performance, you'll really he- you're hearing Handel at the height of his compositional powers. You can see why he was so proud of it. In fact, as you say, he he didn't he thought Hallelujah chorus was okay, um, but actually he thought the, the the final chorus of Act Two of Theodora, um, which is an extraordinary piece in B flat minor, um, even higher uh, in, in quality than than handled than the Hallelujah chorus. And certainly, when you sit in the audience and hear Candelation singing it with this with the orchestra antipodes, I, I I wouldn't disagree. Neither would I, Aaron. Well, thank you for joining us today for this episode of Baroque Banter. So, Pinchgut Opera's Theodora in Concert as part of Opera Australia's summer season takes place at the Sydney Opera House for two performances only, February 8 and 9 at 7pm. These performances are almost sold out, but limited tickets are still available through Opera Australia's website, and we hope to see you there. Rock.